Call from mom. Answer it. Call silenced. Instacart knows nothing gets between you and the game. That's why they make ordering from your couch easy. Stock up today and get all your groceries for the week delivered in as fast as 30 minutes without missing a minute of the game. You have 47 new voicemails. Download the app to get free delivery on your first three orders while supplies last. Minimum $10 per order. Additional terms apply. T-Mobile has invested billions to light up America's largest 5G network from big cities to small towns, including right here in yours. And great coverage is just the beginning. Right now, families and small businesses can save up to 20% versus AT&T and Verizon when they switch. Visit your local T-Mobile store today. Plan savings with three lines of T-Mobile essentials versus comparable available plans. Plan features and taxes and fees may vary. I think to be Afghan-American means to see all the perspectives. Our our community is incredibly resilient. You know, not a single Afghan likes to play the victim. Um, Even though, you know, we we like to be incredibly courageous and brave and it's, you know, a very noble thing to do. However, you know, sometimes we, we hide the pain and the struggle that we are going through privately. 19 years, 10 months, three weeks, and two days after the war in Afghanistan began. Final U.S. military plane has left Afghanistan. President Biden is expected to speak a little bit later this morning about the end of America's longest war. That was the choice, the real choice, between leaving or escalating. I was not going to extend this forever war. And I was not extending a forever exit. This less than two weeks after the Afghan government collapsed and the Taliban took over Kabul. Refugees from Afghanistan fleeing the Taliban have begun filing into other countries. A diaspora of fear, resiliency, community, culture, not unlike the waves of refugees seeking respite from the Soviet Afghan war 42 years ago. By 1984, approximately 10,000 refugees found their way to the U.S. and Canada. Some settling in the San Francisco Bay Area, where one city already boasts the biggest population of Afghan Americans in the United States. In this episode, we'll hear from two members of the Afghan coalition of the Bay Area. One, a local council member. The other, a policy analyst. Both children of Afghan refugees. They'll tell us how the Afghan community has been able to maintain its culture in the region following a long trek and decades of war at home. And the barriers facing Afghan immigrants, especially women, to this day. I'm Linda Lopez, and this is Connect the Dots from Odyssey. Fremont, California. It's nestled in the Bay Area's Alameda County, 43 miles from San Francisco, and just two towns north of San Jose and the well-known Silicon Valley. As of 2019, a town of approximately 236,000 residents, which could grow a little more with incoming refugees from Afghanistan. Fremont is home to the biggest population of Afghan Americans in the U.S. If you were to go to Fremont, you'll see Afghan restaurants, you'll see Afghan grocery stores, you'll see Afghan businesses, you'll see mosques, you'll see that there is a vibrant community, culture of Afghan 
uh, for Afghan Americans. Connected Dots producer Mallory Samara spoke with Harris Mojadeni, a member of the Afghan Coalition of the Bay Area and policy analyst at UC Berkeley, about the Afghan diaspora in the Bay Area and how older generations of refugees are being impacted by what's happening in Afghanistan today. With the increase of the presence of Afghanistan on the news and in media outlets, how do you think the portrayal of the current conflict affects Afghan Americans living here in the U.S.? Well, you know, um, gosh, there's so many different ways to look at this uh, issue, but I would say my community, the Afghan American community, we've been in the United States for about 40 years. Many of us are refugees or the sons, daughters, children of refugees. So I'd say in the past probably 30 or 40 years that we've been in the United States, we haven't been in the limelight, right? We've we've sort of, um, you know, uh, I'd say growing up myself, people didn't know where Afghanistan was, and it wasn't until 9-11 when people were able to know where Afghanistan was on the map. But, you know, unfortunately, it was associated with terrorism with Osama bin Laden. So I think in many ways, um, what we're seeing right now, the events taking shape in Afghanistan, it's really, I'd say, the first time that people are seeing us, that we're being humanized, that people are seeing the pain and suffering that this community has endured for 40 years, whether that's in Afghanistan or whether it's it's diaspora communities. No one, the broader community hasn't seen the pain that we've experienced, our, the atrocities that we've witnessed, the sort of ires of war, no one has really humanized that. And so what we're seeing in the past 18 days is the first time that we're being seen, that we're being heard, that people are coming to us and saying, this is so wrong. How can we help you? How can we support you? How can we uplift you? And uh, there's no words to describe. It's as if suddenly we matter. Have you noticed a difference in generations? You know, how different generations are taking in some of the news? That's a really good question. Um, I would say it's impacting different generations in different ways. I think that's a really good question that you posed. I'd say for my parents who are refugees in their generation, they're reliving their own actual traumas of escaping uh, escaping Afghanistan. And they're, they're witnessing that with the images that they see, that they've seen at the airport in Kabul or that they have seen in Afghanistan. And so for them, feelings and emotions are coming up to the surface that maybe have been dormant for decades because it's they're, they're, they're literally reliving their own traumas. And then I would say for, you know, my generation, and I'm, I'm, I'm 31 years old, folks in my era who we may not have actually experienced that 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 trauma, we are sort of we're experiencing that intergenerational trauma, that collective trauma. Um, it's it no words to describe it other than even though we directly didn't experience that trauma, we're now witnessing firsthand what ha- what that experience has been for our parents. I I know for myself, I've been trying to help my family members escape from Afghanistan. So for me, going through passports and forms and and the the, the the pain and the fear of how do I get these loved ones out? Like I, it's, it's so in that way, I would say my generation is experiencing that sort of fear of my loved ones, are, their safety is on the line. And, and 
So I feel like it's it's hitting us in different ways, but collectively, I'd say this diaspora community, uh, we're all going through this collective trauma. Where it's all coming to the surface all at once. And I'm sure, you know, having all of this coverage sort of available anywhere and everywhere um, has sort of lent to that too as well, right? Because it's not it's not the same as it was 30, 40 years ago. Now it's we're seeing it everywhere. And so there there must be good and bad parts to that, right? Yeah, Mallory, as that's a really good question. I'd say that um, the good parts are that if there are any good parts to this uh, crisis, which you know that's questionable, but I'd see what what has been heartening has been that there really is, I'd say across the board, willingness to support this refugee community that's coming in. I'm witnessing it. I'm based in the San Francisco Bay Area. I'm witnessing it through um, the work that local governments are doing at the city level, that county governments are doing. Um, There's been so much support from our federal representatives and Congress. And to me, that's so heartening. It is really the birth of, I would say, America's newest constituency, the Afghan-American. We are we are taking shape in the ways in which we are advocating. So I think that's heartening to see that we are going to our elected officials, we're going through different governmental agencies and really speaking about the, the importance of support services for the, the, this new arrival of refugees. And I'd say what's also different about this particular wave of refugees from Afghanistan is that these folks and individuals have been in support of our mission in the United States. They share our ideals and values. They have worked in support of our armed service members. Um, they've worked in institutions like the American University. They've taught at schools for girls and and they share our ideals, values, they can speak English, not all of them, but they're familiar with our culture, which is vastly different than than my parents or the, the first wave of refugee arrivals 40 years ago where they didn't know too much about America or the culture. So I see, I think that'll definitely play into what the assimilation or acculturation process of these refugees look like. But that's been the really the heartening part of this crisis is to see the support from our broader community to see ourselves really humanized. Fremont is supposed to have the largest population of Afghan Americans in the United States. Do you know of what the city or the state or, you know, local officials have been doing to be welcoming of of your community? Historically in the United States, Fremont really has been the center of the Afghan American diaspora community, what that has in turn done in the response that we're seeing is that the city of Fremont has, um, they have a relief fund for refugees. We're beginning to see that um, resettlement agencies work really closely with county and city governments. And so this is all really evolving very quickly. It's it's only been a few weeks, but I think in that few weeks, um, just the response, the sort of support that we are seeing for the Afghan American community has just been so tremendous and overwhelming. I know that the city of Sunnyvale, which is in the South Bay, they passed a resolution in support of the Afghan community. We are now, that's something that I'm pushing to have other cities and governmental agencies really affirm that the Afghan American community is a vital part of our Bay Area um, and really really a part of the fabric of the United States. And so that has been heartening. And I think 
in the coming weeks, we'll begin to see more concrete plans. But I think as it is right now, there are, you know, um, different stakeholders are beginning to meet. I, I've witnessed it myself in sort of the beginning of the coordination process between resettlement agencies and, and city and county governments. So um, I'm, I'm very hopeful at this time and, and, and really grateful, again, just to, to be seen and to have our experience humanized. Do you know when this population grew the most? This population of Afghan Americans, I'd say probably um, throughout the entire decade of the 1980s, if not into the early 90s, Afghanistan had the largest refugee population in the world. So the, large, the most amount of refugees in the world at any given year throughout the decade of the 80s were belonged to Afghanistan. And so that population in, I would say, in Fremont, the San Francisco Bay Area where I'm from, it really began to increase, I'd say, in the early 80s as folks were fleeing the Soviet invasion of Afghanistan. And I think part of the reason why Fremont might be or the Bay Area might be such a large um, home to such a large concentration of Afghan Americans is that we had Afghan doctors here. And so when I think about my parents and their generation, just having medical professionals that spoke their language, seeing grocery stores pop up, you know, halal butcher shops pop up. And I think also word of mouth too. I know that when my parents first came here, they were told you should come to Fremont because there is an Afghan doctor or there's someone that speaks Farsi. And so that sort of word of mouth traveled. And I know that at least in my context, we've had family friends who they might've came to other parts of the country first, maybe Wyoming and Texas, but they soon migrated to Fremont just because of the fact that there was community. And it, and, and when you think historically right, like there wasn't the internet at the time, there wasn't social media, people didn't know what, you know, what America was or the culture was. So just knowing that, hey, there is there's a halal butcher shop, there is a mosque. Like those are those are really, you know, I know foundational things, but at the time were were huge. And so I think that's sort of how our story was began in the United States. I'm curious, do you know professionally or like industry wise what you know, people who migrated here, who were refugees here, do you know what sort of like industry they ended up in here? Yeah, well, I'd say the um, Afghan American population, we have been so vital to the economy of the United States. You see Afghan Americans in um, so many governmental jobs, you know, you see them working in different social services agencies and in the county level, in the city level. You also see Afghans in the tech sector. Um, I know people in my generation, you know, they, they studied STEM and so they're engineers in Silicon Valley. We also have so many poets and authors and writers, you know, um, Khaled Husseini, who wrote The Kite Runner, who's also from the Bay Area and Fremont. And um, yeah, we our community has been vital in so many different sectors. I, I can't just point to like they've chosen one route, medicine or engineering or technology. I think we've been really a part of all the different sectors. Do you know of any, um, like as far as demographics go, um, you know, why were certain people coming here to the Bay Area or Fremont rather than, I know that there's um, another community and I think it's North Virginia mm -hmm. um, that also has the biggest, uh, the second biggest um, Afghan American community uh, in the U.S. Like, do you know why certain people 
um, like the demographic of the, the the folks who ended up coming here. So I'd say this that first wave of refugees that came here, you have to think that um, Afghanistan really overnight when it, there was a communist you know revolution in 1978, the government drastically changed. It became communist. And anyone who was a dissident, anyone who disagreed, whether they were, uh, you know, business leaders, religious leaders, whether they were just anti-communist, whether they were part of the ruling class before, whether they had nobility, whether they were whatever they were, I think that was really the first brain drain in Afghanistan is you had these wealthy, higher class leaders in society, right, that were essentially you know, either 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 murdered or were had to evacuate because they were being targeted. And so you see in that first wave in the early mid eighties, um, people that really belonged to the intelligentsia, people that were thought leaders, um, leaders in religious, scholarly religious leaders, business leaders, landowners. You saw them flee because they were under direct attack by the communist regime. I know in my instance, my own grandfather. Um, was was taken away um, by the communists and you know our family never heard of him again you know and so this but this isn't anything that's unique right a lot of anyone who's a dissident to this communist government was really you know they had to flee they had to leave afghanistan and so um that's really that first wave that we saw and then i think there's also a brain drain going on right now you're seeing all the people that the the best and brightest in afghanistan you're seeing them want to flee and so that's happening in a different capacity 40, some 40 years later. But yeah, I'd say it's definitely a brain drain both times. How has your community been able to maintain their cultural identity in the U.S., um, in Fremont, Bay Area, but also just in the U.S. in general? Yeah, so I'd say in terms of preserving our cultural identity, um, many Afghans, when they first came to the U.S. back in the 80s, the thought process was okay. There's a there's a war going on right now because there's a communist government in in Afghanistan. But should that communist government fall, well, we can return back home. And so I think for many refugees and many members of our community, when arriving, the notion wasn't you know I'm going to stay long term and be American. It was I'm going to go back home to Afghanistan when the conflict is over. But, you know, as we've now seen, that conflict never really resolved. There was one conflict after another the past 40 years. And so I think just that initial, we're going to, we're, you know, we're in the United States, but we're probably going to go back home. I think that really allowed for, you know, the, the culture to be maintained. I know that because we had a large diaspora population in the, in the San Francisco Bay area, we, um, had community events. We had our Nauru's festivals and programs, and and I know in, in high schools had Afghan clubs where you would do, you know, you have a um, a yearly assembly where the different cultural clubs perform, and I thought was, that was true for me in my own experience. And I think it just helped that there was a um, and really a blessing of, of of my experience growing up in the San Francisco Bay area is that. I would go in my classroom, there would be other Afghan students. We'd have sort of the share, same shared identity of, you know, our, our parents have a, you know, they're more conservative. We can't, you know, we can't go outside like to the movies or get an allowance or so that that sort of um, community was built. And, and I, I'm, I'm really grateful for that because I know that that's not the experience for many refugee communities, you know, and I know that had I been born and, you know, 
a different state, maybe in the South, maybe in the Midwest, that I wouldn't have had that experience that I had growing up. And so I think that that's been a way that we've really been able to preserve that cultural identity. And I think as we look to the future, I think it's even more important that we preserve this culture because what's taking shape in Afghanistan, right? It's it's something completely different. And the music, the, you know, whether it's musical instruments or singing or dance or poetry, which are so important to Afghans, um, we're seeing an erasure of that culture. And so I think it's going to be even more critical to preserve sort of these traditions that we have. You mentioned this notion of returning to Afghanistan. And I'm curious because, you know, my my grandmother, she came here from the Philippines and she lived through World War II there. And I think because of everything that she had seen there, um, and my mom is American born, but because of everything that my grandma saw there, she like did not want me traveling to the Philippines at all. And she never went back and had no interest in going back to the Philippines. So where do you think that notion of returning home is going? Do you think that the hopes of returning home have dwindled and do you think it'll change? I think that sort of hope of returning home, at least for the current diaspora population in the United States, like, you know, my family were were Afghan-Americans. Like we were proud to be Afghan-Americans. We past that initial few years in the 80s, you know, we're proud to be American citizens and, and part of this country and this culture, you know, we, it's it's part of who we are, it's in our DNA. And so I think for this particular um, wave of refugees that, you know, my family belongs to and many of our community members belong to, I think that that, that notion of returning to home, it dissipated really quickly. Um, and we're proud to be American and to, to be contributing to this society in this country and and that's something just beautiful to hold both of those pieces together i'd say the notion of returning home in terms of what it means to be someone who's a descendant or has afghan descent is changing quickly i don't think that folks have necessarily had the time to process that yet just because we're in you know for me right i'll use myself as an example i'm trying to get my family members out of afghanistan to make sure that they're safe so i haven't had time to to think about how do i identify what does that look like for me what what if this new government that is taking shape before our eyes but if it doesn't represent me do i tell i don't i think that it's so new it's such a new concept like i don't know one, like what that identity means to me now. And I think that we are seeing that amongst our community. Part of the pain is that I think there's also a mourning. We're, we're mourning the loss of this 5,000-year-old identity, the, the you know, which, which has signified so much the birthplace of Rumi, the birthplace of the Enneagram, where Buddhism really took root and, and shape before it went to the East, the, the Silk Road, this place of all of these different faiths and people living together in harmony and in the culture really we're, we're witnessing an erasure of that. And so I think part of what our community across the globe is experiencing is this loss, this mourning of this identity, right? We saw it with symbolically the flags being removed in Afghanistan. And so I think that it's so soon. I don't think that there is quite an answer yet to describe that, but I think it's, it's evolving and it's taking shape. And finally, what does it mean to be 
Afghan American? Gosh, I don't know if I'll do justice to that question, but I'll, I'll try my very best to answer. I think to be Afghan American um, means to see all the perspectives, right? I think my heritage, you know, Afghanistan has so many, dif- there's so many differences. And oftentimes we see the way that this country or this region is divided. But I think for me being of this heritage, it allows me to see people. It allows me to understand the nuances and the differences. But it also, for me personally, like this heritage that I come from, it makes me so grateful to be an American. I'm such a proud citizen of the United States because I have, from what I've heard from my family members, right, like my my grandfather's government, because he disagreed with the point of view and took a stance, he was taken away, right? And it makes me so great. And it makes not only me, but my community. It makes us so proud to be Americans because we know we've lived what happens when governments are not for the people and and it makes us honor right the, the right to vote these important things that we oftentimes take for granted i think what it means to be afghan american is really what it means to be american to to believe and uphold these liberties and values and like i i think of it as one and the same and i think that at least in my own experience cuz i can only right I'm, I'm, i can't speak for every afghan american i can't speak for every american but i know in my own lived experience the stories that i've heard the things that have happened to my family it makes me just even more a fervent supporter of our democracy of our ideals of our values and i i never take that for granted right and i know many members in my community we never take it for granted whether it's making sure to vote every election whether it's knowing who our elected officials are or whether you know i think it just it's so important because we've witnessed you know what can happen on the other side About 13 miles north of Fremont, a 20-minute drive, or 30 in Bay Area traffic, is Hayward, California, where Afghan-American Aisha Wahab, also a member of the Afghan coalition, serves as mayor pro tempore, making her the first Afghan-American elected to public office in the United States. People are just paying attention to after 9-11. But Afghanistan has been dealing with this since the mid-70s. Wahab, who is also running for a seat in the California State Senate, said that the Afghan community here in the States was expecting the Taliban to take over their homeland long before it made headlines. Primarily because many of us watch Afghan um, news and media. And we usually have like a friend or somebody that's going to be traveling to Afghanistan or from Afghanistan. And, you know, they they probably have the most up-to-date and accurate information when you talk to them. And the Taliban were actually taking cities in northern Pakistan prior to even coming into uh, Afghanistan. And um, so we saw this, you know, a mile away, if you will, right? Like roughly in July, to be completely frank. With that said, after the fall of Kandahar, it was pretty much a given that the rest of the country would be taken. Um, Kandahar is actually kind of more symbolic in in some ways in the sense of, you know, where the country is going to go. And when they took over Kabul, it, it was pretty much a done deal after that. Right. It was it was complete after that. Um, but Kandahar was definitely the, the signal. In response to the crisis in Afghanistan, members of the Afghan diaspora communities in the U.S., including first generation Americans like Wahab, have been working to provide aid. 
to be frank with you, uh, there's not a single generation of Afghans alive today that have not been directly or indirectly affected by war, myself included. Uh, I am the daughter of refugees myself. And with that said, um, many of the young Afghan professionals have been really stepping up, taking leave of absences from their work and their day-to-day -day lives to be able to help interpret for the women and children that are coming. You know, the interpreters speak English, but their children may not. There's also certain nuances and level of depth of knowledge in Afghan culture that some of these agencies do not have an understanding of. So a lot of Afghans have been helping around that. There has been significant support in regards to donation drives, food drives, fundraising, both for Afghanistan as well as locally, as well as uh, campaigns to educate our elected officials, as well as the demonstrations to stand with the Afghan people and not with the warlords or with the Taliban. For example, Wahab's own community in Hayward and other areas of California have stepped up to organize efforts to help Afghan refugees, along with elected officials in the state. You know, I, I think that the city of Hayward has really stepped up. This is an international humanitarian crisis, and, you know, the city is working to connect uh, community members to critical services in multiple languages. Um, you know, we are making sure that we aren't duplicating efforts and that we're collaborating and putting the people that are really the, the subject matter experts at the forefront. And if there is interest, a concern of getting involved and so forth, we are directing volunteers to the appropriate agencies. There have been many people that have reached out to me from the San Jose uh, Human Rights Institute to uh, the Berkeley Law Department that is trying to provide um, so, some support with immigration and so forth your everyday Afghan American, our local Congress member, his office, his staff, as well as the other Congress members throughout the Bay Area that are, are seeking um, to provide support. We have other elected officials that have reached out to me saying, you know, Aisha, we don't have anything to do with, you know, being able to provide, you know, housing or extra services or anything like that. But, you know, I'm happy to have a staff person help on any efforts that you may have. Um, so, so there's been a lot of that, to be completely frank. In Colorado, another state with a sizable Afghan-American population, Congressman Jason Crow's office has also pledged to help people who are at risk in Afghanistan. Other states, such as Minnesota, have also welcomed refugees. Yet getting people out of Afghanistan is only part of the struggle. The biggest barrier to coming here is just getting here. It's being accepted. It's being, you know, going through the process and making sure their entire family's potentially with them. Um, what people need to understand is the nuances of the special immigrant visa. The special immigrant visa recipients were guaranteed to be able to come to the United States with their spouse and children under the age of 21. And if they have a child 21 and above, they are saying goodbye to their children. And I don't think people realize that. And it's not one child or two children. They may potentially have six children. Um, you know, families there are very different than the nuclear family here that we see with maybe one or two kids at most. If Afghan families are able to make it to the States, settling here can be challenging, especially for women. In the U.S., the difference is going to be 
again, mostly affecting women. You know, can they get a job? Are they going to be isolated because they do not speak English? Um, are they going to be isolated because maybe their husband is struggling with, you know, having their wife work or go outside or interact with, you know, people that they don't know and so forth? Um, the children bounce back pretty quickly. They're pretty resilient. And, you know, within a year, they're wearing jeans and Nikes and, you know, can move on with their day to day activities and speak the language and have friends. Um, the special immigrant um, visa recipients, the, the main interpreters, um, you know, they'll have a little bit of an easier time, uh, but they'll be stressed in providing for their families because one paycheck won't make it here, right? Um, housing, transportation, education, healthcare, the cost of food, the cost of living here in the Bay Area is extremely high, um, let alone one paycheck versus, you know, now potentially their wives are going to have to work and, you know, what type of job are they really going to get? So that's going to be a, a whole different ballgame. As a board member of the Afghan Coalition as well, I have seen us interact with what's going to be needed with the special immigrant visas recipients and what they truly, truly are going to go through. And it's usually their wives that are struggling. You know, there is domestic violence. There is mental health issues. There is a wide variety of other things that the entire family deals with, but the wives are the ones that are the most isolated. And some of them have committed suicide right here in the Bay Area. And um, that is often not highlighted. And with war, I want to say that the larger Afghan community does struggle with mental health. We're talking about anything from anxiety, depression, isolation, you know, some of these things that are a little bit more manageable to things that are far more difficult, like schizophrenia. Many self-medicate, many, you know, have to deal with their trauma, and many are very much alone, again, very much alone. So I think that it's going to be a huge concern moving forward uh, for these families. And, you know, as the, you know, member of the young professional Afghans that are here, it is definitely our job to kind of help as much as we can. But, uh, you know, hopefully they, they, they all find some peace in, in the Bay Area. When it comes to mental health, Wahab explained that young Afghan-Americans often volunteer their time to help others in their community, offering pro bono services and taking time out of their careers. The Afghan Coalition does help with mental health. Um, I will say I also have a friend who is literally doing pro bono uh, casework, um, providing mental health services. She's a LMFT, a licensed marriage and family therapist. There's a lot of young people that are offering their services there. You know, like I said, the, the professional network amongst young Afghans in the United States is is pretty broad. You know, there's many that are lawyers and doctors and so forth. So, you know, the, the fact that, you know, so many young professionals are taking leaves of absences just to be able to help where they can is commendable and incredible. So how can people help out Afghan refugees and Afghan-Americans? If they want to go to hayward-ca.gov slash Afghan Relief, you know, we have an entire page dedicated to the Afghan relief and assistance efforts. They can fill out an inquiry form and potentially, you know, ask how can we help, whether, you know, that's working with the Afghan coalition, whether that's working with the Jewish Family and Community Services of the East Bay, um, you know, whether that's donating or, um, 
anything like that, you know, you'll have some useful information there. We update the, the website roughly twice a day. And you know, we have links if, if people care more about the the efforts around advocacy, which we always need help on, um, things like that, that they can help in any way that they please. And just, you know, if you do need an Afghan, you know, just being kind and considerate is incredibly helpful at this moment in time. As the situation in Afghanistan continues to develop, war will continue to shape the Afghan diaspora in America. Connect the Dots plans to check in with the East Bay community and others across the nation in the coming months. This episode of Connect the Dots was written and produced by Lauren Barry and Sydney Fishman. It was executive produced and edited by Mallory Samara. Until next week, I'm WCBS News Radio's Linda Lopez. T-Mobile has invested billions to light up America's largest 5G network from big cities to small towns, including right here in yours. And great coverage is just the beginning. Right now, families and small businesses can save up to 20% versus AT&T and Verizon when they switch. Visit your local T-Mobile store today. Plan savings with three lines of T-Mobile essentials versus comparable available plans. Plan features and taxes and fees may vary. vehicle's engine with a full synthetic oil change and save with Mobile One at O'Reilly Auto Parts. Purchase five quarts of Mobile One full synthetic motor oil and receive a $10 O'Reilly gift card after rebate. See store for details. With your Mobile One purchase, you'll also receive two times points during Old Rewards Bonus Points Month at O'Reilly Auto Parts. Oh, 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 O'Reilly Auto Parts. Baseball is in full swing. NBA playoffs are heating up. And your NFL team is gearing up for training camp. Listen to the latest on the teams you love here on the Odyssey app. The biggest sports radio stations in the country providing unrivaled local coverage of their teams all in one place. Exclusive interviews with players, coaches, and team executives streaming live and always available on demand. Stay in the know with your favorite teams right here on the Odyssey app. 